Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Dr. Pamela Ellis, also known as the Education Doctor. She's the author of the book, What to Know Before They Go. Dr. Pamela has guided and coached thousands of students on their educational journey, and she has a ton of savvy tips for how to get started really in middle school and what to do every year of high school to make sure that your teenager is on track to get into the college of their dreams. Really excited about talking to Dr. Pamela today about what you can do to not do these things for your teenager, but how you can really get your teenager involved in the college process early, get them starting to think about this stuff from the very beginning of high school, and how to get themselves set up for maximum success in the college admissions process. Dr. Pamela, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. So talk to me a little bit about what all this stuff is and how this kind of all came to be. Yeah, absolutely. So for so many years that I've been doing this work, the biggest question is around what to do now. And I have parents who reach out to me. They could have, you know, a student in any grade of high school and really want to know what do I do now? And those roadmaps came about from that experience of getting those questions over the years. I'm a parent myself. And yes, I want to know what's ahead for them. But also, what does that mean for me right now? If a parent has a junior right now, they have a different question than a parent who has a ninth, a 10th grader, or one who has a senior And the book itself came about through years of answering questions for parents. And part of it is, yes, the dissertation work that I did, Ah. but not really, because as you know, when you are doing a dissertation, it's all about writing to an audience of scholars. And when I was doing my dissertation work, I never forget one of my committee members asked me at the end of my first uh, examination in defense, he said, what does this have to do, you know, about parents? You know, what is the impact on parents of what you're sharing? And that really touched me in a deep way because I, as a parent, wasn't really thinking about it in terms of the parent perspective for my work. I was looking at, you know, what does this all mean for students? But that question is what led to the work that I do now and certainly all the years since then. And what's really in the book is about 
answering those questions for parents because especially when you talk about educating their children, that can be really stressful because you don't want to have regrets about it. One thing I thought was really interesting was you talk about reading and how keeping teens reading as they transition into middle school and into high school. One thing that you mentioned that I really found interesting was that one mistake a lot of parents make is to stop reading to their teenagers. Um, (laughs) Can you talk about that or uh, why you recommend? I sure will. I sure will. Because we do it when they're younger. Totally, yeah. And it's just a natural thing to do. I mean, some moms will even start reading to their children when they're in their room. But somehow when they get older, you feel like they're too big for that or they already know how to read. But even with my kids now, I mean, they're young adults, but just hearing the the spoken word and hearing something as it's written, there's a certain soothing to it. That's, I mean, that's the only way I could think of right now, but there is something soothing about it. There's something nurturing about it. And it also too is modeling for kids. I think that at the end of the day, teenagers, even with all that they have going on and many times they're quite precocious, they still want to be kids. And I certainly see that in my young adults in terms of things that um, I may ask them to do or just even the responsibilities that they want to take on. In some cases, they're, they're showing that they still want to be a kid in a sense. And I, I feel like with teenagers, I don't want them to lose that. So reading to them can still help in all of those ways. Yeah, I like that a lot. So one of the themes throughout the book is what you refer to as A-plus attitudes. Those attitudes are around really being student-centric as opposed to worrying about what colleges want or worrying about some other things away from the student and recognizing the student and accepting them for who they are. So the attitudes are that it's all about fit, there's a lot of money out there, and distance doesn't matter. One thing you really got me thinking about in this book is how high school can kind of be a trial run almost for college. Like um, instead of just sending your kid to whatever high school is all their friends are going to or that they're supposed to go to, take some time and look at all their options and apply to some different schools and have them deciding, you know, where they want to go. And it almost gets them used to this process, basically a small version of what they're going to go through with college. And one thing that you talk about as well, because those three attitudes that we mentioned, Mm -hmm. one is choosing the right fit. And so I wonder if you could talk about choosing the right fit for high school. 
Yes. So one of the things I'll say about choosing a high school is that it's not meant to make the child, you know, all of a sudden take on these big adult decisions by having them decide, but certainly having some input around their high school, if that's a possibility for the family, really makes a difference in terms of helping them with owning their educational journey, mm-hmm. as opposed to it being something where only the parents, you know, decide for them. And so that's what I was uh, referencing in that regard. And so with my own children, I wanted to give them some options as far as schooling was concerned, because I knew that the schools in my own area weren't necessarily going to meet all of their needs. And so having them take ownership in that meant that you know, they also got a chance to research the schools, to learn about them and be part of that process of discovery. It also gave them a chance to experience, you know, those things that they liked and didn't like about whether or not those schools would be a fit for them. And the areas of fit that I talk about in the book are academic, social, financial, and vocational fit. And for high schools that may not necessarily apply in the same way, particularly on the vocational side, because oftentimes kids may not know yet what they want to do career-wise. You know, sometimes they may have a general idea because they've seen someone who was, you know, a physician or an attorney, but for the most part, they may not have a really specific idea of what they want to do vocationally. But in those regards, they can um, take that into consideration in the family together, taking into consideration the financial aspect. But an additional area of fit, not in the book that I have since added in my own work is cultural fit. Mm. And that was something that certainly has come about with all of the things within uh, this recent year with unrest racially, unrest within the LGBTQ community. And so cultural is a big piece of it. And it's something that I did take into account with my own children uh, when they were looking at high schools, particularly for my daughter, because I have two sons and a daughter And for my daughter, she had been in schools where there were only a handful of other black girls. And so I wanted her to be in a big enough high school that yes, she could have a chance to go to prom. And so just something as simple as that is really about a cultural fit in a sense. And so we talked about that with her for high school and certainly has come up even more so with college. But I I hold fast to those areas of fit as really making a difference in terms of having a place where teens thrive. And that's what, you know, finding the right high school is about. That's what finding the right college is about is that place where they thrive. And so those factors of fit give you know parents and other decision makers a framework for thinking about it and making sure that they're forefronting the student 
as opposed to only thinking about the brand name or thinking about some other factor that won't support them thriving when they're there. So one thing you talk about throughout the book is setting goals with your kid um, before the year starts, and you recommend setting one to two goals. So well, I have questions about that. Why is that? Why not 10 goals? Why not 20 goals? And uh, I also really like how you have this grade by grade approach for kind of what the focus of your goal should be in 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Yeah. Why not 10, 12? I just think that we don't focus in <laughs> if we have that many. Yeah. And part of um, having limiting the number of goals is having a sense of purpose, intentionality, and seeing you know that you can accomplish something. And even I put together recently as part of my course, a module on time management and it's not you know having you know 10 things you need to get done in one day but only you know just a few what are the top priorities and so even in the same way with you know having a few goals you're prioritizing because it can be so easy to get scattered and end up not really accomplishing anything and I know for me personally, I love bright, shiny objects. And it's easy <laughs> yeah. for me to get distracted and start with something new. But just limiting helps to maintain focus and to actually get things done. And it's a good process to go through of kind of deciding what's important to you. And this yeah. is what I'm going to focus on this year. Exactly. Exactly. And I do it by grade again because every great year is different. And for a ninth grader, you're not trying to put together a college list. It doesn't even make sense. It adds too much stress. But if you think about how do I uh, build relationships with two or three friends at Mm -hmm. school and make that transition to high school in a meaningful way, that's a great goal. That's a great goal. And that's something that you can then work towards and be intentional around. When I talk with students about goal setting, I ask them to have, what are the steps to getting you there and who's gonna help you to stay accountable? And so those are ways to make sure it's just not saying it for the sake of saying it. Yes, I wanna make, I'm gonna do a a 5.0 this year. And it's just like, but you're at a 2.0 now, is that realistic? So we talk about smart goals and really just doing it in a way that supports them with being successful. So one phrase that you use when you're talking about planning the summer is to start with the big rock first. What does that mean and how do you do that? Big rock is around prioritizing. And so that's, that's why I use um, that phrase. And it comes from something from business. And I can't even remember the story behind it right now, but it's, it's prioritizing. And I think of the big rock 
for most students, regardless of the grade year, is reading in the summer, reading for mm. pleasure. Uh, that's something that doesn't cost a whole lot to do. It's enjoyable. You gain so much from it. And it's just a wonderful experience that oftentimes our high schoolers have forgotten about because they're accustomed to screens and other things. And they've gotten away from reading. When I've talked with parents, this probably is a little bit more scientific, but when I've talked with parents over the years, I've asked them, you know, if their child is a reader and they oftentimes will say, not anymore. Yeah, they used right. to be, but after, you know, around sixth, seventh grade, they stopped reading for pleasure. And I think a lot of it is the peers that they are around and screen time more uh, into their games and everything else. And they've lost that, lost sight of it. But one of the real joys of what I do is I was talking with a student recently who's a junior and I was talking with him about the importance of reading. When we met the next time, he mentioned that he had started a book and he said he found that he really enjoyed it and he had forgotten about it. And I was like, really, what made you do that? He's like, because you mentioned reading. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> because <laughs> here I am thinking this kid is probably thinking I'm nuts and he doesn't want to do that because he has homework and everything else, but he did it. And I think I know in part two is because I'm not his mom. Yeah, right. You know, whereas if his parents tell him that he's not going to do it, sure. but because I'm a third party. <laughs> he figures, okay, Dr. Pamela, I'll read. So that's that's really what the big rock is about. It's about prioritizing for your summer and having something you want to do to accomplish. You know, again, for a ninth grader, it could be developing their personal skills. And so they want to focus on that for the summer. That's a big rock for them. And then all the other things can fit in. Yeah, right. Otherwise, you feel like there's so much stuff that you need to do and you're scattered all over the place. And how am I going to do get all this stuff done and balance everything? But I like just keeping it focused yeah. on what's your kind of big goal this summer and focus mm -hmm. on that first. And then sure, there's still plenty of other time to do everything else around that. This was interesting. You talk about what the college bound schedule should look like for each year and how skimping on the basic curriculum can really limit college options. You talk about one student that you had who really didn't want to take Spanish for the, his senior year of high school, even though one of his top choice colleges was had required four years of Spanish. So he went to this whole letter on his application requesting a waiver um, saying, you know, I really don't want to do Spanish, but please accept my application anyways. And it didn't work. <laughs> didn't get in. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and you say, you know, that might have worked if they if his high school didn't offer Spanish and he was trying to say a waiver saying, hey, I did the best I could, but it's impossible for me to take this. So that just get, gets my brain thinking about how, yeah, there are limitations. You know, you you they'll understand if you're not able to do something, but 
there's a difference between not being able to and just deciding you don't really want to or something. Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, colleges are well aware of that when they look at the school profile and get a sense for what's offered. And they're looking at students as best they can on a level playing field yeah. in terms of this is what this school offer and what how the student took advantage of it. Yeah. And in you know his particular case, you know he was just adamant that he didn't like his teacher. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no right. other reason. And what does that say about you learning how to get along with us? Well, so. <laughs> as a college, also it's like, well, okay. So then, as soon as you get to campus and like you don't like something, or so you're gonna have a hard time, yeah. you're just gonna quit. And like, yeah, exactly. right. Exactly. It's maybe not who we want to admit here. Exactly. And students sometimes are really not looking ahead and developmentally they're not there really to look that far ahead so this is you know one of the conversations we have to help them with grasping that Mm. concept and so i guess just you have really specific recommendations on what classes people might look at every year but i guess the main rule is just kind of being really aware of what is available and that you're taking advantage of the most challenging opportunities that are available to you. Exactly. And again, it's not about forcing students to be anything that they aren't. And so what I mean by that is I oftentimes will talk about challenging yourself at the level where you are. And so that could be different for different students. And so for some students, they're challenging themselves at a regular course. And for others, they're challenging themselves when they take in honors or if their school offers an advanced placement, they're taking advantage of that. But it's probably you know pushing yourself a little bit further than you may think. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you know some of the teams that I'm working with don't want to push themselves. They're comfortable with being comfortable. Totally, yeah. And so part of my role is, at least I see part of my role, is giving them that extra push to encourage them to step outside of their comfort zone. Mm. And one of the points of the book that I make is that it's much easier to do that while they're at home than to wait on them to learn that when they're in college. Because when they're in college, they're gonna definitely be in situations where they'll be outside of their comfort zone. And so this gives them that opportunity to practice that while they're still in high school. How do you figure out what's the right level of challenge for your teenager? Part of it is seeing where they've been to some extent and testing the waters a little bit earlier on. Mm. Perhaps it's trying out an honors course uh, before you leap into an AP course. And so that's a way to do it more gradually. For some students, you know, their high schools may automatically limit what they can take when But if there is an opportunity, for example, for one of my students, he was interested in doing engineering, but he didn't want to take calculus. (laughs) He didn't want to take 
calculus in senior year. And that makes it a little bit hard uh, to really go into engineering. Yeah, that was a lot of math you don't have calculus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, and you know, know part you of the push, class. yeah, part of the push was at least getting him to try out. I think they offered an honors pre-calc, something like that, that he could take to at least build himself up and help with his confidence. Because mm. a lot of times it's a matter of confidence that's holding students back yeah, from trying right. it out. And that that worked for him, that worked for him. But every other class he had was definitely a regular or basic. Mm. <laughs> he just didn't want to push himself. But it's just like, come on now, because if this is something you want to do, I really want to see you step step it up at least in the math. In the proper area. Well, maybe you don't. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's not about exactly. taking on everything, but it's like right. being strategic. Yes. And for him, that was the big rock, probably. That. Exactly. It is. It is. That was definitely a big rock for him, and that mattered more than getting him to try out AP US history. You know, sure. it's just like right. he's not even that kind of reader you know, mm -hmm. to take on a class like that. And he was very frank in telling me that he wasn't a reader or didn't like reading. Yeah. Um, so it was all I could do to at least get him to push himself on the math side. And yeah. so I, I, you know, was pleased to see him do that. And that was meeting him where he was. And so not forcing him to try to take everything honors, but at least giving him that bit of push outside of his comfort zone where it would matter, yeah. where it would matter to him. We are here with Dr. Pamela Ellis talking about how to help your teenager get themselves prepared for college. And we are not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. I think one of the hardest things we have to do as a parent is to let go. How do you make the most of a college fair? Because I even had a student, he was a, a senior and we were working together and I asked him, you know, we were just putting together the applications in the fall and I asked him about his scores, his SAT scores. And he said, Dr. Pamela, I don't have the login because my dad set it up. And I thought, really? Now, why would he do that? <laughs> why yep. would he do that? <laughs> but you just, you want the students to own their educational journey and yeah. own the educational processes that they're taking part in. I think it, you know, it helps with them being less resentful. Because that student in that moment felt pretty bad. Yeah, and right. he, he even commented that, <laughs> yeah, no, it was. And he even commented, you know, under his breath that he would have wanted to do that himself. Yeah. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.